Colossae, and Paul had written this epistle while he was imprisoned in Rome. Colossae was a large city. And in this region, there were many people that were passing through. And oftentimes, when you get people that pass through, there's a lot of different ideas, thoughts, beliefs that could come into effect and change people's thoughts and mentalities. So again, it's important uh, that he was trying to address these issues that were going on in this church. And uh, again, this church was started by Epaphras, one of Paul's co-laborers and companions in the faith. But Paul had never been to this church. It seemed kind of odd that he would write a letter to a church that he had never visited. But he had never been to this church. He wanted to uh, go to this church at one time, but was not given liberty to do so. But he was trying to help them and encourage them in the faith and get them to understand their belief on what they understood from Scripture. Again, he wanted to help them in their Christian walk. Paul was addressing the different beliefs that had drifted in, and he wanted to establish this important doctrine of Understanding the preeminence of Christ. Again, there are many people coming through, different gods, different ideas and thoughts. So he wanted to make sure that they understood that there was one God. There is one God, one Lord. And wanted to focus about this idea of the preeminence of Christ. So let's look here at Colossians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 18. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 18. And, he's, and he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of the flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which ye have preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. In this text this morning, we find the importance of the preeminence of Christ, but also the benefits that we have through Christ. So again, we're going to look at five simple things this morning in regards to that. But let's have a word of prayer as we get started. Lord, again, we do thank you for the time we've had to be able to lift your name up in song. Thank you for the fellowship that we've had already together as well. But Lord, as we've opened up your word once again, I pray that you would help us to see the need that we have to understand who you are and how important you need to be in our lives. Lord, I pray that your spirit will have free reign in this place. It would just speak to hearts. Lord, but mostly if there's someone here that is not saved. Lord, I pray that they would get saved today. Lord, again, just speak as uh, only you can. Help direct us and guide us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, Paul had never made it to Colossae. You go back and look in Acts chapter 16, and he said he wanted to visit those in Asia, but again, he had not given liberty from the Holy Spirit to go and to do that. So uh, who was it that he was addressing? What was this church all about here in Colossae? Well, there were several people mentioned in Scripture that were related to or members of this church to, again, kind of show the significance of it. We go back and look in the book of Philemon. Philemon, of course, was a wealthy man that the, the book of Philemon was addressed to. And again, Paul was writing to him, letting him know to welcome back one of his servants named Onesimus. Onesimus was in bondage with Paul and, again, he had received Christ. So he was writing a letter back to him saying, hey, 
uh, this servant that had done you wrong, welcome him back into the family because of what had happened. Now, that's just a couple of people we could look at that was in this church. There were also other people. Uh, Epaphra was one. Uh, Archippus was another. Marcus, the writer of the book of Mark, was there at one time. Demas, the one that had been forsaken, uh, forsaken the faith, as we often refer to and look at, he was uh, a member here or going there or part of this church. We look at Luke as well, the physician, the writer of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He was uh, a part of this group as well. So there's a lot of people we can look at that were related to this church. So again, Paul was wanting to make sure that they understood the preeminence of Christ. Well, what does all that mean? What is preeminence? And what was this verse talking about? That's the first thing I want you to see. What is preeminence? You go back and look at verse number 18, and it says, uh, referring to Christ as the preeminence. If you were to look up the word eminence, eminence means at the highest position or place or rank uh, of anything. Oftentimes we think about the king or queen of being the highest, uh, the eminence, your eminence often referred to as that, putting them in the highest position possible. If you go back and read in verse number 17, again we find that Christ was before all things. He didn't merely come into existence on Christmas Day, like some people think. Jesus Christ was in existence before the world began. And this again references to His preeminence. To establish this and understand this a little bit better, look back with me in John chapter 1 if you would. John chapter 1, the first couple of verses there in this chapter of this book uh, shows exactly who He is and what He is. In John chapter 1, we could probably quote that verse, many of us. John chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Notice the word, Word. <laughs> Notice it's capitalized in verse number 1. Why was it capitalized? This again is in reference to Jesus Christ. He is the Word, and He was there from the very beginning of time before the worlds were even created. We could continue to read down through that chapter and see the revelation that Jesus uh, was part of the Trinity before everything or anything was ever created. We could go back and study the Jews. And uh, again, they were proclaiming their heritage back to Abraham as they always have and they will always do. But Jesus told them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He was before Abraham. He was before their lineage. He was before who they were focused on and establishing their heritage on. You go back to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. He said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Again, showing that he was in existence prior to this world ever being created. In our text, we see that Christ has been placed in a position of preeminence because He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. Everything we do in this church ties back to what we have been taught or what we find in Scripture. Why? Because Christ is the head of the church. Christ is our head. He is the one we are to follow. And that is why we look to Scripture and what we do and how we do things. There's a lot of people say, well, you just sing those old-fashioned songs and you do things the old-fashioned way. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. This is why I go back to Scripture. I'm nothing against new things. We do new things all the time. There's nothing against that as long as it lines up with Scripture. So it's important that we go back and we judge things and we examine things according to what we have, and that is the perfect Word of God. 
Verse number 18 goes on to clarify Christ even more. It says that He is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus Christ is the only one that has had power to raise Himself up from the dead. Although we've read many times and looked in Scriptures where other people were raised from the dead, they themselves did not have that power to do so. God had always given someone else the ability to raise them up. And Jesus Christ is the only one that is raised from himself from the dead. But as we look at this idea of being the firstborn from the dead, he is the first one, he is the first fruits. That should give us some encouragement. That should give us some thought and thinking about if he's the first fruit, that means there's others to follow, amen. Looking forward to the day that we're going to be plucked up and placed into heaven because we will be those fruits as well. But Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall, ever, so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day when the Lord will come down and we'll beat him in the clouds, in the air, and go up to heaven with him for all eternity. But this is why my Lord is worthy to be looked at as the preeminence, the head of the church. The first fruits of Christ. But secondly, I want you to see in verse number 19 that it pleases God. It pleases God. Look back at verse number 19 with me again. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. The preeminence, the fullness and perfection of God have been placed, embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the benefits that we have because of the fullness of Christ. We have God's grace. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? John chapter 1 verse 16 says, And His fullness we all have, or we all will receive, and grace for grace. We get to appreciate and enjoy the grace of God because it has been bestowed on Jesus Christ. How often do we take advantage of God's unmerited favor, His grace that He has granted to us? Think of how and where God's grace utilized in our lives. Think about all the things that we could think about with grace and what it encompasses. Grace enables our salvation. Aren't you thankful for that? Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith. God didn't have to provide a way to be restored back to Him, but He did. He gave us that opportunity that if we would accept His Son, that we could be welcomed back into the family of God. Grace not only saves us, but it, exhibits, it is exhibited through forgiveness. How many times have we sinned against God, and each time He has welcomed us in with open arms, with our true repentance? There are no strings attached. God's forgiveness doesn't have a time limit, doesn't have any limitations on what He'll forgive us. Uh, he tells us again over and over in Scripture that He will forgive us of all of our sins if we confess them to God. I love how the hymn writer Annie Flint put it in her hymn, He giveth more grace. The first verse says, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more grace when the labors increase. To added afflictions, He added His mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplied peace. The refrain echoes, his love has no limit, his grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. I am certainly thankful that God continues to give and give and give 
His grace and forgiveness. God also empowers our service for God. The grace that He's given us, again, as Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, that I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. It's because God's grace that we are able to serve Him, that we are able to do what He has called us to do. But most of all, we have hope that enriches our future. God could have stopped with just giving us His salvation. He could have said, here's salvation, and that's good enough, and that's far more than we ever deserved. But on top of giving us that salvation, He's given us a home in heaven. What a wonderful thought to think about what He's blessed us with in our future. If you're saved this morning, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got a home in heaven waiting on you. And I'm so thankful for that because I can enjoy the grace as I'm living today on this earth, but I also get to look forward to the future and what He has for us. Grace is not the only attribute of the fullness that dwells in Christ that we get to enjoy. We think about His omnipotence or being all-powerful. His omniscience, the quality of knowing all things at once. His omnipresence, being everywhere at all times at the same time. Those are some wonderful attributes as well. We can think of His immutability, his never changing, always being the same, yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternal and He is perfect. This is the God that we serve. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God we worship today that has given those attributes to the Lord Jesus Christ. These are just a few. Again, we can name others and go on and look. But again, stop and think about the fullness that God has given to him. We also find in verse number 20 that because of his preeminence that pleased God. Number three, this morning we can have peace. We can have peace. Look at verse number 20 again. And having made peace through the blood of his cross... By Him to reconcile all things unto Himself by Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Think about the significance of the blood that was shed on Calvary. We sing songs like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood. Are you washed in the blood? We can list song after song after song. But just because we sing those songs doesn't mean we understand the importance of it. Some today think and say that they don't like to hear about the blood. It's a slaughterhouse religion. Well, let me remind you of what Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says. And almost all things were by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed His blood, then we can be forgiven of our sins. That's the important thing. That's the most important message the world needs to hear today. Ever since Adam and Eve, God required a blood sacrifice to cover our sins. The Old Testament sacrifices only offered a temporary substitution to sin. But Jesus' perfect sacrifice that we have been given has forgiven us of all of our sins. Turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment. And I want us to get a, a complete understanding of this redemptive work that we have because of Jesus Christ and what He has done on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, if you would please. Let's just look at a couple of verses. We could start at verse number 1 and read all the way through to verse number 18 and get that understanding. But I want to highlight just a couple of verses this morning. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 10. It says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Notice that phrase there, once for all. Look down at verse number 12. But this man, 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Look down at verse number 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There is no more sacrifices that have to be made. Jesus paid it all. We're thankful that we don't have to worry about offering a sacrifice, going to the temple, providing this, doing that, because Jesus has paid it all. We don't have to worry. We don't have to think about or wait for another sacrifice or anything else. He has completed it. It is done. It is finished. Jesus' sacrifice provided a peace offering that satisfied God's requirement and payment for sin. We can't do anything to make peace with God. Our salvation isn't dependent on what we can or cannot do. It was reconciled by only the Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross brought us peace and salvation. And because of that, we can be presented to God. Number four this morning, we are presented to God. Look at verses 21 and 22. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Each one of us knows the sins we've committed. Every one of us here can understand that, yes, we are all sinners. We have done things against God. But it's more than just the physical sins. A lot of times we get caught up on the things we've done, but we also got to stop and think about our thoughts and the intents of our heart and mind. Those are things we are accountable for as well. Because of our sins, we have been separated from God. You go back and look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse number 2. It says, but your sins have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It's not somebody else's sins. It's not that the devil made you do it. Because you are the ones that have decided to go through that. Each one of us have committed those sins. So those are the things, those are the reasons we need to understand this reconciliation, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the salvation that is offered, as verse number 23 explains. It was because of that reason we must be reconciled to God. Every one of us in this life have been born a sinner. We have been given that inherited sin nature by Adam, and it's been passed down through the line. The Bible tells us that all have sinned. And can short of the glory of God. Our sins need to be paid for. They must be redeemed or reconciled to God. And since God made this requirement. He also provided a way for it to happen. Jesus was perfect and without sin. He was willing to lay down his life. So you and I wouldn't have to. That is God's salvation plan for all of mankind. It's not an America way. It's not a uh, Kansas way. It's not this way or that way. It's for everyone. Everyone gets saved the same way. All throughout time. It doesn't matter the dispensation. Salvation has always been the same. All we have to do is believe and accept God's plan. Accept what He's done. It's not a formula of words that we say. It's not a, a religious ritual that we have to go through. But it's trusting in Jesus Christ and the work on Calvary that He has done. Accepting it by faith and asking God to forgive us of our sins. Simple as that, yet it's so hard for people to think about and do. But once we've done that, we can be presented to God, the Father, as holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. This is where the problem begins with many people. 
They have this idea that they have been forgiven and that they think they're holier than others. But understand this. I'm no better than you and you're no better than anyone else. It's only because of the one inside of us that we can have anything. It's only because of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice that He has done for us that we are worthy of anything. Paul was trying to teach this to the church in Colossians as well. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Again, verse number 11, he was trying to warn them and let them understand, stop judging other people and forgetting where you were once were. It says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's because of Jesus and what He has done that we have anything in this life. Again, we've got to remember that it's God. It's Jesus Christ that has paid that ultimate debt for us. And that we have been forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. But verse 22 says that we are presented to God in three ways. It says we have been made holy, but only in the eyes of God. When He looks down from heaven, He sees the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. We can... We can't be placed on a pedestal. We can't be placed in a place of prominence or anything else because that is reserved for the Lord Himself. But we have been looked at as being holy, as accepting Christ. But it also mentions being unblameable. This means without spot. Jesus took on Him the sins of the whole world and accepted our blame so that we could be free. Again, this is a form, uh, this is from God's vantage point, not from our own. But third, He also mentions that we are un unreprovable. Someone may be asking, well, isn't that the same as unblameable? Unreprovable means without reproach. No one can go before God accusing us because we have been forgiven. The Lord Jesus is the preeminence. We understand that. We should know that. We should be honored to, to be a part of that. And because of that, it has pleased the Father. This in turn has brought us peace and allowed us to be presented to God, the Father. But because of all these benefits, because of who He is, it should make us understand that we must press on. So number five this morning, found in verse number 23, press on. Verse 23 says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. We must continue in the faith. This is not following some new idea or new belief. It is what we are to be grounded in, what we to learn and understand from the Word of God. This is what we have been taught. Ask yourself this morning, are you grounded in the doctrines of the Bible? Do you personally know Scripture that teaches regarding the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the gospel message of salvation by grace through faith alone, eternal life, authority of Scripture. That's a big one today that people don't understand or even think about. Again, this book is to be our final authority for every practice and every principle that we are to follow through in life because that is the perfect Word of God. That's what's going to help us. Sadly, many believers today don't know any of these doctrines. They don't understand what they are. We've let them go aside and we think, well, I understand it. That's all we need to do. But Paul mentions there in verse number 23 that we are to continue to preach it, to proclaim it, which ye have heard and which was preached. So those things we have been taught, 
Those things we've heard in church will now be held accountable unto God. Hey, I've given you the opportunity. You've heard this message. You've heard this, this doctrine, this teaching. Now you're to proclaim it to other people. Are we not doing that? We wonder again, I mentioned in Sunday school, why the world is going in the direction it is. It's because Christians today are not standing up for what they believe is right. As they say, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Well, who's squeaking the loudest right now? It's not the Christians. It's the liberals. It's everybody else. It's the alternate lifestyle. You name it. Those are the ones that are screaming the loudest. And those are the ones that's getting all the grease. We need to start standing up and proclaiming. We need to be preaching what God has given us to preach. And that is His death, burial, and resurrection. More people than ever are turning away from God because they don't understand. There's been too many people in the past that have pointed their ideas, their wants, their thoughts, what they think is right, versus going back to what thus saith the Lord says. Again, we're not to give our opinions because our opinions don't amount to anything. As I say, opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got two and they both stink. We're to give God's opinion. What does God's word say? That's what we're to do. That's what we're to share. And as we do that, then we see others get saved. We see others come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We've enjoyed these benefits for how long? Think back on how long you've been saved. You've enjoyed that time. You've enjoyed the fellowship with God. But what about your neighbor? What about those around you? Have they been able to enjoy those same benefits? They're not going to unless we take time to share that message. They're not going to understand it until we take time to share with them how to get saved as well. So are we being faithful in our witness? Are we continuing to do what God has called us to do? Again, it's important that we strive together in witnessing. Again, this is the whole thought for this year and our theme of striving together. We're to together, come together, work together, do what God has called us to do as a local body, as a church. But our witness needs to be right up top. Are we witnessing and sharing God's message? If not, we are failing as a church. We need to make sure we are continuing to proclaim His message. Understanding that He is the preeminence. He deserves everything. He should be number one on our list. And that's what we should share with everyone else. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. As we allow the Holy Spirit to direct our thoughts... Are you here this morning with that?